definitely human. Guys, welcome to Back to Earth, a podcast about roots. I'm Charlie May. This is episode 54. It's summer, although today it's feeling a bit like autumn. And this week I visited Daisy Snow at her farm in Devon. I actually met Daisy just under a year ago doing some influencer work for Ian Snow. She very kindly gifted me a rug and we got chatting. And I couldn't believe the similar trajectory we were both on, having worked in fashion, having a complete lifestyle change and going into farming instead. So Daisy gave me a tour of her farm and we had a nice long chat about her journey so far. And yeah, without further ado, here's the interview. Blah, blah, bloop. Hello. Oh, oh my God. Well, yeah, you gave me the postcode and it led me right here. Hi. This is beautiful. It's looking 10 times tidier, believe it or not, than it was when when we bought it. (laughs) When did um, you buy it? It's a year ago now. Oh my God. But it was an absolute tip. Like, I've dug up so much rubbish with a digger from all of the hedges. Honestly, like old lawnmowers, plastic tubs, soft plastic rubbish all up this hedge here. It's just disgusting, to be honest, and really sad that you can be lucky enough to own land like this and treat it with such disrespect. Yeah, um, yeah. But all of the actual sort of man-made rubbish has now gone. I mean, I'm sure I will find more over the years. <laughs> Come in. Yes. Yeah, yeah let's, let's do a cup of tea. Wherever you go, I'll it's go. chaos everywhere. It's <laughs> just left. So you bought this place a year ago. And when you got it, it was just, as you were showing me around, it was just totally sort of derelict. And yeah, there's so many problems with it. And you've spent the last year basically trying to put it right. Well, trying to tidy up, that's the first step. It has got outbuildings and sheds and a house and none of it is watertight. Someone said to me the other day, oh, why don't you get solar panels? And I was just like, well, I don't have one roof that they they could go on. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. So... I bought this farm purely because it is directly next to my mum's farm, which I realised that I could never leave. I had to like literally go to the bank and beg and borrow and I was offered one mortgage. Not even a choice, one mortgage and I just had to go for it. It's at a really high rate. It's all just like, yeah, it's stressful. (laughs) But I know that this was the right thing to do and I've not once regretted it. I didn't even look around the house before buying it because I don't care really. This is my life now. And over time, I will get it all mended and stuff. I think it's exciting to some people to have such a work in progress that you can put your mark (laughs) on it, you know? Oh, God, yeah. No, it's a rare find. Um, And what I really didn't want to do... Uh, Like if we hadn't bought it, this farm would have been a prime development site. Someone could have come in, got planned permission to convert all of the buildings into residential, split it up and sold it as like five different places. That is absolutely something I would not want to do because I think it's important to preserve these small scale farms. Everyone thinks I'm a little bit insane because they would expect if you were going to buy a property this dilapidated to have a spare, you know, at least 200 grand in the bank to do it up. And I don't, and it will just have to happen as and It'll when I can afford time. it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and you know, it's it's an upgrade to the caravan. Winters are still quite cold, but I'm used to having you know no heating in the caravan. It was single glaze, and like my hair used to freeze after I washed it in the winter. Honestly, it was horrendous. 
This is better because at least the walls are thick, but there is no central heating, so we just have free wood burners downstairs. But I, do, I don't mind it too much. My partner, he used to live in like a new build. Um, so he's feeling the cold. He feels the cold a little bit more than me, but you know, I've only ever lived either in a caravan or in old farmhouses, so I'm quite used to it. I would live in a cardboard box, really, on this land if I had to. I really don't care. <laughs> so um, even though your family are in farming, you were telling me about your granddad, you, similarly to me, come from a background in fashion. Yeah, so my my mum's family are farmers and my dad's family definitely aren't. They're from Liverpool and my dad started Ian Snow. He is Ian Snow. He started that when he was really about in his early 20s and it was an accidental thing. He had quite a prim and proper upbringing and he wanted to escape that. It was like the 60s and he walked to India when he was 18. That was the first trip and he just kept on saving money to go back and kept... he walked to India. Well, I think the first trip he was going to sort of hitchhike. One of them he hitchhiked and one of them he paid for like this bus ticket, but it just started taking ages through, um, I think it was like Iraq or Iran and it was just seemed like it was never going to get there. So he hopped off this bus with his friend and they just thought they'd walk the rest of the way. But this is a long time ago. You couldn't do that now. He went back and forth, back and forth, and then he stayed there in the end for like two years, studied tabla. He just wanted to make a lifestyle for himself that facilitated his trips to India. That's all the goal was. So your mum was the turning point in the business? Oh God, 100%. My mum, she had a very different upbringing really. My mum had her first job when she was nine years old and it was hard work, like working at a holiday camp doing the washing. So my granddad grew up in sort of like it was a homestead that they didn't own. At the age of 21, around the time he got married, he bought his own farm. And he did that by borrowing money from various people in the village. And he had a really good reputation. Everyone liked him and they knew he was hardworking and they trusted him. And they all, between them, lent him this money to buy this farm and um, he paid it back within six months. Wow. The main reason why I think they, my gran and granddad, were successful with farming is probably down to my gran being so frugal. No holidays, no days off. They would never have bought a takeaway. They never would have bought a cup of coffee. So my grandma always encouraged her two kids, so my mum and my uncle, to not be farmers and to go and get a job that will pay them more money because she did not want to have the financial pressure of looking after her kids she pushed them to go to uni so my uncle became a solicitor and my mum became an accountant and they both practiced for a very short amount of time before realizing that they hated this corporate employed life but my mum while she was in uni she was making clothes And she also saved up so much of her student loan that she was affording to send money back to her parents to help them on the farm and managed to buy a house when she was a student. Uh, Absolute rundown, needed complete renovation. And she learnt to plumb and do electrics when she was a student. Took all the floorboards up, re-plumbed, re-electric this whole house did it up and sold it and at the same time parallel to that she was like making things selling them on craft markets um and then she got this job as an accountant she was the head accountant for Laura Ashley 
and gave it all up was like I'm just gonna start my own factory and ramp it up a level from the craft markets and do this properly and within a couple of years she was employing 50 people had a turnover of like 800,000 pound was exporting all over the world was stocked in Harrods Liberty of London Selfridges and it was making clothes out of rubbish which was her other love so it was textiles and rubbish she absolutely loves rubbish. so she was buying rags in buying and rags. sort of transforming it into clothing yeah so the, the thing was it was all good timing with everything it's always about timing as well and luck double glazed windows had just come out so everyone was getting rid of their really thick plush velvet curtains so there was loads of velvet really good quality cotton velvet available at the rag yards and she bought it all cut it up into squares patched it all together and she made patchwork parkas and that was the real hit was these patchwork parkas she did other things as well but that was what she was known for and yeah she had a problem with the amount of stuff that was being thrown away back in the 80s and 90s a major problem with it and she really did do something about it she was on like the front cover of the times and the ft and all all these massive publications she ended up meeting Ian because she ran out of scrap. She exhausted the supply of the whole of the UK's velvet. So started looking for then her next thing, which she thought she'd go to India and get saris. So she went with Ian to do that. And, and then I think she must have got pregnant with me. And she just she just stopped it all. She was knackered as well. She'd done, she was living in her factory in a house full of pallets with this guard dog in like the middle of Shrewsbury. She probably didn't sleep and didn't eat properly and just was on this wild mission for five years. Anyway, she shut it all down. So yeah, mum obviously by meeting Ian took his business under her wing and that's what she's then done for the last 20 years. We moved to Devon. I was so involved with it from a really early age and I've absolutely loved it. I've done it for 10 years now. I'm 26 now and it's really special, our business. It does provide a lot of employment for really talented artisans in India. It uses a lot of waste materials if an emergency happens, like that our suppliers tell us about in like Kashmir or anywhere in India, we can always help. Um, and we have got this amazing platform that enables us to do that. My focus definitely was on that for the past 10 years, but it has shifted. And it's come from realising that no matter how ethical and sustainable your business is, and I truly believe ours is one of the best and I'm proud of it, there is this niggling thing that selling stuff isn't the answer. It is just stuff that people don't really need. I'd be an awful saleswoman. <laughs> um, so, it's so interesting, though, because I think exactly the same thing. You know, I just felt like at the end, you know, with my fashion business, as you say, no matter how sustainable yeah, you are, yeah. you're still trying to create a product and entice people to buy it when really they don't need to. I yeah. Don't know. yeah. And this is this is the whole thing. I, I still run Ian Snows and uh, my thought process is it's a better option. And I think it's good to have these better options. Like your clothing would have been a better option than buying from H&M. So I'm still keeping it going for those reasons and I think it's good also to create old-fashioned employment and labour-intensive employment. But I believe the focus should be on food and on our soil quality and on farming. And I guess you've had the same yeah. same revelation. So now it is about running the business to enable me to pay off purchasing this farm and do up the sheds and sort the fencing out and get set up to be able to run a small scale really genuinely sustainable project and farm and create food and then also maybe teach people other young people how to do it we were saying about um when i saw you this morning about 
the cost of food isn't high enough and how people just chuck stuff away because they don't realize that one of your daughter's friends, you know, would leave chips on his plate, yeah. whereas your dad has like been growing those in the garden yeah, and, and you know, they're not oven chips, they're like hand grown, you know, potatoes. Yeah. I think what the highlight to me is that when you have grown your own food, you just do not waste any of it. You will pickle it if it's going over or freeze it or something. You're just not going to let that food go to waste. And I think we need to teach this next generation of children how important it is to grow their own food and realise the value in it and to not waste it. So that's something you're, you're instilling in your daughter from a young age? Yeah, I mean, I do get food wasted. It is hard with kids. But I will say to her when I put food on the on the table, I'll say, right, so granddad grew those potatoes, those tomatoes nanny grew in her polytunnel. That beef is from the cows in the field, the rubies. We have very detailed conversations as we're eating the food. We will talk about abattoirs and how they're killed, how they're hung, how they're then butchered and how it's ended up on the plate. So full transparency. Full transparency. And she's four. She'll pluck pheasants and gut them. Um, wow. Yeah. At four. At four yeah. And it's almost now, it's a selling point. I, so I say to her, right, that's Uncle Charlie's beef. So don't leave any of your lasagna because you can't waste that. And it does really resonate with her more so than a packet of crisps that she just knows that I've bought from the shop. She knows she's not allowed to waste anything that has definitely come from the farm. And obviously, really, she's not allowed to waste anything, but it is hard at the age of four. But she's so into farming. She keeps these quails and helps out a lot with the chickens. And it's incredible. The responsibility that she feels for these animals, she will off her own back, change their waters if they're dirty. She'll struggle with heavy buckets. She knows which feed is for what. She can open the gate. She'll collect the eggs. She can do anything. And it's just from letting her do it and learn but she takes it very seriously she knows the names of most wildflowers in the hedges she picks berries and then she'll make smoothies and jams and things she absolutely loves foraging and um, food production. And I think farming. it's where you get the excitement from because I remember being a kid going out and getting mushrooms, pick, picking blackberries with my dad from the hedgerows. Like that sticks in your mind as being, yeah, there's yeah. just a wealth of, you know, things to eat out there. And, yeah. yeah. And it's so magical. I just can't explain it. Mushrooms are just my absolute favourite thing. Finding a mushroom, to me, that is like a real hit, like a dopamine hit. <laughs> Like, honestly, it's honestly, it's so exciting for me. I don't know. I don't know if I'm just weird. You spend all this time trying to grow something in your own veg garden yeah. and then for these yeah. edible mushrooms to yeah. just appear in a field. Yeah. And you're like, oh, my God, treasure. Yeah, treasure. No, it is like treasure. But all of it is like the cucumbers and, and the courgettes, all of it that grows. It, I just find it so amazing that it is like treasure and I really appreciate it. I just feel so grateful to be in the position where I can grow food or forage for my own food. And I just think we need to make it more accessible for everyone and we need to really be teaching this in schools. Mm. I also really want to do school visits and a lot of education from here. Once we're set up, I really don't have the time at the moment. This is all like really early days. I think what would give me the greatest fulfilment is getting kids in schools obsessed with knowing where their food comes from. Like more and more things are happening. There are community gardens. There are a lot of cooperatives and schemes going on that if you are interested in food production, there is sort of more ways in now, If you even if you don't own your own land. And I just think let's get teaching these kids how, how to grow food and where their food comes from, not 
beating around the bush about it in terms of the animal side of it. I think full transparency, because that's when they care as well. Yeah. So, yeah, this is where the previous owner ran a Santa's grotto. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, so we've got this little shed. but I'm it's fallen through on the veranda there. Yeah, I fell through there. Oh, no, did I you? I had the bruises to show for it, yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, but this everything was covered in fairy lights. So loads of fairy lights are wrapped around all the trees and stuff and nailed into them. It's awful, really. No. So, yeah, I need to go around and, like, cut them all off. It did look really nice because I did come here once as, a like, a punter. Um, did you? Yeah, with my daughter, um, and it did look beautiful, but the farm was such a state. Mm. Um, it must have just looked okay because it was dark. But might in the future think about making this into an Airbnb or something. Yeah, cute. Um, because it is a lovely spot and this is going to stay really wild. And then we've got areas. So like obviously now because of the summer that we've had, I think it's so important to really think about tree cover for animals and also for the grass as well. Because I noticed in the garden underneath the bottoms of where trees have shaded the grass the grass remained green yeah and it was okay if we're gonna have hot summers I want to be able to put goats or pigs in the woodlands for the summer months where they've got the shaded areas and they can just you know trundle about and browse I suppose at the moment it's about really planning for more extreme weather and having these tracks that the purpose of that is to stop compaction and stuff which is where you get like runoff and and flooding so it's all sort of planned with the whole system in mind to make mm-hmm. it as easy as possible and as good for the animals as possible and good for the soil as possible. Yeah, it's just, it is quite nice, Sarah. And then there's going to be a pond down here, which I think will just be, I'm trying to put ponds in these areas because mm-hmm. then in the, the poultry that mum's got seem to actually really, they just, in the heat, and the alpacas, they just want wet areas. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I forgot you had alpacas. Oh, yeah, we'll go and see them. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, should we, we could walk, let's walk back through the woods because okay. it's beautiful. And there's Mo camping towards <gasps> Oh, my goodness, Mo! Hello, they're not actually that friendly, though. Oh, okay, so what? Like, well, no, they, <laughs> well, I don't really Hello. know. Hello! <laughs> so, this is Fabian. Fabian. This is Larry. <laughs> oh, and all the chickens. Oh, my God, this is just heaven to me, alpacas and chickens. <laughs> so, these guys... But yeah, they don't really like being touched that much. But they are like friendly. Yeah, like chickens. They want to be on you, but they don't want you to be on them. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Oh my god! You're right behind me. Hi. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't really, and I can't really say I don't really know ever what they'll do. <laughs> oh my god! Like that. Like that. See, that's not actually ever happened before. But I've always been worried that they would be. Like yes. That. We're being attacked by alpacas. This is taking a grim turn. <laughs> <laughs> or it's trying to mount you. I don't know. Oh, but Fabian. <laughs> okay. Oh, and these two bicker. Do they? Non-stop. Larry and Fabes. Yeah. Hi, girls. <laughs> Hi, little piggy. <laughs> oh, I, th- I think I'm teasing him. He thinks the microphone is a snack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, having a good scratch. So cute. These guys are awesome. I want some ducks. This is literally like a field of heaven. We've got alpacas, we've got chickens, we've got ducks, we've got pigs, we've got turkeys, and now we've got some cows over the gate. Hi! Oh my god, it's such a cacophony of animals. I'm loving it. <laughs> Finally, a young female farmer my listeners can look up to. Maybe someday, it'll be me!
In the meantime, you can follow us on Instagram at Back to Earth Podcast, on Twitter at Back to Earth Pod, and on TikTok at Back to Earth Charlie. Music is by John Day, artwork is by Eric Chow, and this episode was edited by David Knight. Thank you guys, and thank you for listening. If you want to support Back to Earth, you can rate and review the show on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. And why don't you check us out on Patreon? I'm trying to add live, it's not working. At patreon.com forward slash definitely human. Back to Earth is a definitely human production. Okay, bye. Oink, oink.